Morning. Um, we're doing a brief four-week um, series on the beginning of Joshua. And last week we looked at the transition of leadership from Moses, who died. I just love the way that it's introduced. Um, it says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Moses is dead. <laughs> it's like, clear cut, gone. You are now going to lead. And we're looking at that part of Israel's history where for 40 years they had been wandering in the desert, living with the promise that they would have their own land. And now God was about to use Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. And uh, that was last week. This week, we're going to be looking at what could be almost a Disney film. Because you've got a young girl, probably in her mid-twenties. She's an outcast. She's pretty despised. She's not part of regular society. And she becomes a princess. She becomes a princess. And we're going to see what takes her from being this despised young lady to being a princess. And so we're looking at the story of Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to read it to you. <clears throat> so Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named, named Rahab, and they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come out to spy on the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, he went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. Remember, that was 40 years ago. And, and also what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign 
that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, so that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the, now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us, unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head, if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Father, we just ask you that you will open our eyes to some of the truths of this story. You will build them into our hearts, into our minds, and into our spirits. Amen. So we're going to look at Rahab's position in society, Rahab's position in the kingdom, and how she moved from one to the other. <clears throat> it's pretty clear what Rahab's job was. They went to the house of the prostitute named Rahab. That was her job. And uh, if, she if she was a prostitute, she may even run a house of ill repute. And this, we know, was not a prominent positional role in society of Jericho. Um, we know something of their moral standards, and we know that although people were willing to engage in prostitution, it wasn't something they boasted about. And if you were a prostitute, you certainly didn't go around in the market saying, my job, prostitute. It didn't help. The spies went to her house simply because they knew they could go there. They didn't have to go book into a hotel and uh, give a whole list. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually an Israelite. Um, what have I come for? Well, it's sort of business. What's your business? Well, I'm just spying on you to try and find your weaknesses because God's going to give us your land. That wouldn't have helped in a hotel. Go to the house of a prostitute. What are you here for? You're a prostitute. That's all you need to know. So it wouldn't be unusual for men to have gone there. When the king heard that the Israelites had come in, he sort of a, a little gathering of his, his advisors, well, where would they go? And you can sort of see the advisors saying, well, if they wanted to remain hidden, Rahab's your girl. So he goes to Rahab. It was an infamous house. She would have been on the outskirts of society 
used and abused by men. Geographically, she was on the outskirts as well. She was living in the walls of Jericho. Now, <clears throat> when we lived in London, you had lots of people in London who wanted to move to the suburbs. They wanted to move out of the city. If you lived in Jericho, the place to be was in the center. And you need to think of it a bit like um, our English castles. If you lived in a castle, you wanted to live in the center. Because if anyone attacked you, it was the walls that got hit first. They were the things that fell down. They were the things that got the cannonball. And so in Jericho, to live in the outskirts and to live in the walls was like living in the slum. It weren't a posh place to live. He was on the outskirts of society. He was on the outskirts living in the walls. The posh people lived in the center. It was the least secure place. She also lived in a society that was doomed to destruction. And they knew it. God was about to destroy the whole of Jericho. This is her position on the outskirts of society, on the outskirts of the city, and destined for death. That's where she was. But what about her position in the kingdom of God? Well, we have a little clue very early on. This will test your Bible knowledge. What was the name of the king of Jericho? Any takers? What was the name of the king of Jericho? You can do it very quickly. You can even Google it now. <coughs> what was the name of the king of Jericho? See, the king of Jericho would have been well known in Jericho. They would have known he was the king. People of influence would have wanted to get to know the king. But in the Bible, names are important. And I'm glad no one took a guess, because even if you were Googling it now, you would discover nobody knows the name of the king. Because in the kingdom of God, he meant nothing. But... Second question, who can name me a prostitute living in Jericho? Rahab, well done, you got it. We all know Rahab, we have no idea who the king was. Why? Because Rahab was going to be important. And in our days of celebrity, our days of the importance of wealth, our days of being important influencers, we need to remember these words of Paul from 1 Corinthians, particularly after some of the songs we've sung this morning. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. 
Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Some were wise, some were influential, some were of noble birth. But most of us weren't over bright, not too wise, not too influential, and not of noble birth. We've got to get this in somewhere. When you next see Vanessa, ask her this question. Vanessa is our church sort of secretary. Vanessa, what did you talk to talk about with Sophie? Now Sophie is Edward's wife. And Edward is the I was about to say it wrong. Is the Earl of Wessex. Is the Queen's son. And Vanessa this week sat down with his wife over lunch and talked to her. So just ask her, what did you talk about with Sophie? See if she remembers who Sophie is. <coughs> but Rahab, we know her name. Not wise, not influential, a despised young woman, but we know her name. Now, her name actually comes up quite a lot in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 1, between verses 4 and 6, there's a genealogy of Jesus. And she comes up as the great-great-grandmother of King David and one of, the mother, one of the mothers of Jesus. In that genealogy, there are f only five women mentioned. Rahab is one of them. What is interesting about that genealogy is of those five women, three of them were abused by men. But God lifts them up and puts them in the, in the line of Jesus. In Hebrews 11.31, she turns up as a list in the heroes of faith. Joshua isn't there. Rahab is. <clears throat> in James 2, 30, 23, many of you will know this verse. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We all know Abraham, great man of faith. But in verse 25, it says this. Was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did? Rahab, one of the great grandparents of Jesus, one of the great grandparents of David, and now here being, being mixed with Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was considered him as righteous. Actually, Rahab believed God, and she was considered righteous 
This woman of low position, despised by society, in the kingdom of God, is lifted up to the very highest of places. I hope you're getting something of my story and your story as you hear this. So how did she go from this despised young lady who was destined for death to being a princess in the kingdom of God? Well, first of all, she understood what it was to fear the Lord. Verses 8 to 11, he says this. Before the, <clears throat> before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear. There are two types of fear of God in this story. One is the fear of God that the people of Jericho felt. And that was, we are doomed. It says of Jericho that it's locked up tight because they knew the Israelites were coming. They were just doomed. There's, there's nothing we can do. God is going to pour out his judgment on us. We are all going to die. And for those of a certain age, you will know the phrase, we're all doomed. And that was the atmosphere of Jericho. We're all doomed. But Rahab said this, yes, we are all doomed. But there's a God in Israel who can rescue. There's a God in Israel who can rescue. He understood the true fear of the Lord. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to learn wisdom then begin to fear who God is. Sometimes we can get so used to the fact that God loves us. He cares for us. And that's all true. But at the same time, he is God. I remember one instance of my youngest son had been chosen to play for the local borough in the football team, um, which was quite prestigious. And I went and watched him, and uh, he played very well. If the rest of the team had been better at football, he probably would have scored a couple of goals. But they weren't. <laughs> he would get himself in some very good positions, and they wouldn't pass the ball to him. He'd say, Come on. But anyway, though it was great to be able to say, well done. And, uh, you know, we had a nice time just congratulating him, saying well done. The next day, he had to get up for school. Now, it wasn't a case of saying, well done, Mark, you're sleeping well. It was a case of, Mark, get up. Get up. Shake. Pull covers back. Go back five minutes later. Come on, shake. Back. Get up. And he needed some encouragement. And God loves us. 
but he trains us and disciplines us as well. And we, we, we can rejoice in his love, but we fear a loving father who knows what's best for us. Last, uh, last six weeks, six, eight weeks, <clears throat> it's been a, quite an unusual time for me. And there's part of me that's like, this has been a horrible time. God, this wasn't helpful for me. This wasn't what I would choose for me. So how about we change some stuff, God? And he just stands over here and says, you don't know what is helpful for you. I do. Endure it. Go through it. Learn from it. But you say, but isn't there a better way? And he says, no. Can we discuss it? No. Can we shorten it? That's up to you. What do I have to do? Go through it. That's not shortening it. It will if you go through it. What do you mean? If you don't go through it, it will carry on. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and she learned something of that wisdom. She also believed in the goodness of God. Yes, God, you are coming here to judge the nations. And God had said to Abraham in the promise, you will have this land, but not yet, because the fullness of their sin has not come about. Now it has. Now she looked out and saw her doomed city. She looked to Israel and their God. And she said, if, if there's a chance, can I just try to see if this God is merciful? And she was given the opportunity to show mercy. Two spies turned up on her door. Two spies from Israel. What would she do? She grasped the opportunity and said, come into my home. I will hide you. I will send, your, send the people looking for you over there. I will be good to you because I believe if I'm good to you, your God might be good to me. She believed that. Gosh. <clears throat> she was given the opportunity to trust the goodness of God. She was willing to give up her past. She was willing to say, if you save me and my family, I will now walk with you. I will leave everything behind me. She acted in faith. When they gave her the red cord, they said, put that red cord, hang it from the wall, and it will protect you. Simple red cord. Reminds us so much of the blood of Jesus. And then she pushed it a bit. She became a house of salvation. She said, don't just save me. What about if my whole family come into my house? 
If on the day that God comes to judge our city and the red cord is there protecting me, can I bring my whole family in? And they, she, they, they said to her, yes, bring the family in. And as long as the family are in the house, the house with the red cord, they will be saved. Think of Noah's Ark. And then they went and climbed down the wall. Then she began a new life and a new story. She'd understood the fear of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord. She'd taken her opportunity. She gave up her past. She acted in faith. She became the house of salvation, and she began a new life and a new story. Later on, she would marry a man named Salmon. His father was Aaron's brother, and he was a leader in the tribe of Judah. He was the leader of the tribe of Judah. She married into a royal family, a family that led the tribe of Judah, from whom would come a great king, Jesus Christ. A prostitute who became a princess. So very quickly, what can we learn? Our past need not define our future. Paul says in Philippians 3.13, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.31, If God gave Jesus while we were enemies, how much more will he give us everything that we need? This girl's story is ours. I don't know where we are in the story. Maybe you are still at the moment the prostitute. Destined for death. I know virtually everyone in the room, so I know most of us aren't like that. Maybe you just need release from a wrong fear of God. Maybe you need strengthening in believing the goodness of God. Maybe you're still battling to give up your path. Maybe you know with a certainty, I, know, I am who you say I am, a child of God. Maybe you're looking to be the house of salvation you have friends, family, colleagues who you long to bring into the house of God. Maybe you feel like you've begun a new life and a new story, but you keep slipping back. I'd like to pray for us. Let's stand. Jesus, we stand in your presence. We stand as 
Not many of us were wise. Not many of us were influential. Not many of us from royal background. I ask you, Father, Holy Spirit, to come afresh upon your people here at Open Door, for those watching, to remind us again of who we are, not what we were. To remind us of our future, as Peter reminded us of earlier in the meeting, our citizenship is in heaven. We were in the walls of Jericho, but we were protected by that red cord. You took us out of darkness and brought us into light. Now, Lord God, we ask you, help us to make the most of the opportunities to be kings, queens, priests in your kingdom. Help us to live according to what you have made us today, not what we were yesterday. You've transformed us. You've empowered us. You've lifted us up in Jesus Christ. Help us to be that. As she married into a royal family, though we have been adopted into a royal family. Let us live like that for your glory. Amen.